Revelation chapter 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be from verse 1 down through verse number 5. And we'll read these verses responsibly. Let's begin together in verse 1. We'll read every other verse out loud together down through verse number 5. Let's begin in verse 1. The Bible says there, ready? Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars." And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." Our theme this year at our church is Love Works. We're in a series right now entitled The Properties or Characteristics of Love. And we're looking this morning at the topic, Love is Committed. Love is Committed. Let's pray. Lord, commitment is a word that is greatly lacking in America in 2020. It's a word that is lacking around the world. Lord, we're committed to loving ourselves, but beyond that, we're not very good at loving others and loving you. Lord, we serve others and we serve you oftentimes only when it's convenient. When it fits into pleasing ourselves first. Lord, I pray this morning you'd help us to get our priorities right. Help us to make a determination that we will love you and we will do everything that we're supposed to do by love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're on a quest this year to fix our affection, to figure out how it is that we are loving wrong, and we are going to learn how to love right. You say, Pastor, why devote an entire... Uh, uh, calendar year from the pulpit on the topic of love. Well, the reason is because God has commanded us to love Him and love others. And He has said these are the two greatest commandments. The two greatest commandments. And I just figured if, if, if God has put such a high priority on loving Him and loving others, then boy, we sure better be doing that right. We better learn how to do that right. Our theme this year is on the screen in front of you. Love works. And we see love works in that love is effective. It gets the job done. When I learn how to love others God's way, and I learn how to set aside my broken version of love and engraft His version of love, boy, you start to see uh, uh, you start to see the effects of it, the cause and effects of it. You begin to see relationships healed, and you begin to see hearts and lives changed for the better. But love only works. When you put love to work. Love is only effective when you put in the effort to love others the way God has commanded us to love others. We are beginning this year. We're only in January. We're beginning on a quest to watch God's love transform us. And then reach out to the broken relationships and broken people that are in our lives. And then reach them and change them. 
Uh, we are currently in a five-sermon series which we are seeking to lay out in plain, understandable terms what God's love really is. So far, we have looked at God's love is charitable. And we said that charitable love is one that takes God's love uh, that He has given to us through the cross, and we turn around and we give it to others. Some of you may remember the sermon we preached on Love is Charitable a few weeks ago. I read to you the poem, Others, Lord, Yes, Others. May this my motto be that when I have lived for others, I too may be like thee. And what is charity? Charity is saying you before me. I'm going to be selfless in my love. I'm going to think of others before myself. I'm going to take the love that God has given me and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to distribute to distribute it to everyone around me. So we looked at a couple of weeks ago that God's love is charitable. Last week we looked at the topic that God's love is compassionate. Last week we looked at this topic and we saw that the idea of compassion is me taking your hurt and putting it in my heart. You taking others' hurts and putting it in your heart. Helping bear that load. We define sympathy as two hearts tugging on one load. Two hearts tugging on one load. I mentioned in the introduction to the service this morning, I'll reference it again here. I received a phone call last Saturday. Uh, this would have been a week ago yesterday from Crystal Syvac. Crystal sitting back here in the back of the auditorium and she was heartbroken and told me that her dad had suddenly passed away and asked me if I would be willing to uh, do the funeral service. And so I agreed to do so and sat down with Crystal and her brother Johnny and we um, uh, talked about her dad's life and I get, gleaned as many details as I could. Thursday we had a service in here for John Castagna, Crystal's dad. And I didn't know John. It's difficult to do the funeral for someone that you don't know. And stand up here and try to honor someone's life and you've never even met them. But we did the best we could with it. And we had 100 or 150 people gather here in the auditorium and not didn't get an exact head count. The Lord knows that doesn't really matter. I will say this. Each one of those people that came matter to God. Each one of those people were bearing a burden and a hardship and a hard time. Just like you this morning. You came in this morning bearing hardships and hurts and if not your own, someone else's. And uh, uh, carrying a load on your shoulders that was that, that, that is that at times can feel heavy and hard. Well, that was no doubt the case this Thursday. Many tears were shed. John was a very, very loved man. And uh, we honored his life and we preached the gospel. And uh, all I can say is something extra special happened here uh, uh, Thursday. The Lord took over. The Spirit of God was moving in just a way that was almost palpable, a way that you could feel. And not to make it spooky or weird, but I gave the gospel and we had heads bowed and eyes closed. I gave a very crystal clear presentation of the love of Christ that was shed on the cross for sins. And um, uh, we, we gave the sinner's prayer. And uh, I don't know how many hands were raised, but two-thirds of the crowd raised their hand for salvation. Fifty, sixty, seventy people were saved right here in this room just this past Thursday. Why? Because there were there was a church that was willing to take in someone who they didn't know and willing to bear help bear the hurt and put it in our heart. And look what God's love can do. Love is charitable. Love is compassionate. Today we're going to focus on this idea that love is 
committed. Love is committed. A few minutes ago, we read Revelation chapter 2. Jesus listed off in that passage, he listed off several things that that church did really, really well. And then after listing item after item after item, he turns around and he says, you're doing the work of God, but you're doing it without worshiping God. You are doing all the right things. You're checking all the boxes for what I want a church to do. But you have stopped loving me. You, Church of Ephesus, you are not committed to love. Not committed to love. You're committed to the work. You're not committed to the worship. The remainder of the sermon this morning, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. I would encourage you to find your way to Ephesians chapter number 1. Why are we going from Revelation to Ephesians? Well, we look at a rebuke handed to the church of Ephesus. Interestingly enough, everything Paul gives the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians is laced with the word love. The word love can be found in all six chapters of the book of Ephesus. The book starts with the word love and it ends with the word love. Why? Because this church struggled with loving God and loving others. I have to be honest this morning. I believe that I at times struggle with loving God the way I ought to. I struggle with loving others the way that I ought to. And uh, I hope this morning we'll see that we must make a commitment to loving God. What does it mean to be committed? Well, let me illustrate it this way. A chicken and a pig were walking down the road together. In a rural area, they passed a sign for a local diner advertising its breakfast special. The sign read, ham and eggs, $2.95. The chicken said, that's our whole contribution to society, isn't it? Breakfast food. Well, the chicken made a contribution to society, but the pig doesn't make just a contribution. The pig replied, for you, it may be a contribution, but for me, it's a real commitment. What is commitment? Commitment is buying all in. It's putting yourself all in. Uh, It's pushing all the chips to the middle of the table. I know this is church. I shouldn't use a gambling term. I don't gamble, nor do I endorse it. But what is it? It's it's being all in. It's saying, I am not going to put my toe in the water and, and test it out. No, I'm diving all in and I am going to be committed to loving God and others. Now, uh, I want you to understand that this is a two-step process. Step m- number one in this process is making a conscious choice that my time with God will be, will be time that is given to Him by love. I won't just go through the regimen of reading my Bible and praying because I'm supposed to. I'm going to walk with God because I love God. You understand? And then it's then it's turning and saying, I'm not just going to be a good person when it comes to humanity because it's commanded. I'm going to love others. I'm going to love my wife, my husband, my children, whatever the case is for you, wife or husband. I don't have both. Amen. Uh, I'm going to love my wife and all the ladies. You can love your husband. And uh, as if you're a parent, you love your your children. If you're a child, you love your parents. And everyone here in here is a child. So love your parents. Amen. Uh, I'm going to love uh, uh, those at church. I'm going to love the pastor. I'm going to love my neighbors, even the ones that aren't nice to me. I'm going to love, 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 love. Now listen, when we choose to love God 
and love others, we are living the Christian life the way God intended. Jesus, others, you. Jesus first, others second, you last. So we learned that, many of us, in Sunday school when we were five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. But we struggle to live it. We really struggle to live it. Step number one is making a conscious choice to put Jesus first with a heart of love. Others second with a spirit of love and myself last. And then step two is getting myself to a place where that becomes my default. That becomes my default. Hey, when you get to a door in a busy area that doesn't automatically open, are you one to open the door and let it shut in other one's faces or do you hold the door so others can go in? There's one piece of meat left on the table and everyone's had their first. Is it your uh, intention to let some defer to others or are you quick to reach in there and, 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 and take that piece of chicken? The story's told about a preacher who went over to a family's house and they had meatloaf for lunch and uh, this woman made meatloaf in such a way that the pastor just adored and loved and, 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 and everyone in the family got a piece of meatloaf, the mom and dad and five kids. Well, there was one piece of meatloaf left and you could see the race at the table who could get through their meatloaf first so they could get the last one and the pastor was full headlong into the race he's scarfing down his meatloaf in a way where uh, even being a little bit rude and just racing to get it down so he could quickly have that piece of meatloaf and the five kids around the table i'm the oldest of seven i know all about racing to get the last piece of meat and uh, uh, they got done and there was one piece left and everyone finished about the same time about that time the power went out And then you heard a blood-hurtling scream. The pastor reached to get the meatloaf with his hand, and he had five forks stuck in his hand. The question is, who really won the race? Default. Our default is to prefer others. It's to put others first. It is is a commitment that I'm going to live my life, Jesus first, others second, me last. When you get to that place, Christian, you have learned to be committed to God's love. To God's love. It's not in and out. It's not a contribution at times. It's all in. We must make it a habit. Listen, we must love others when they are nice. We must love others when they are rude. We must love others when we feel like it. And we must love others when we don't feel like it. We must love others when it is convenient. We must love others when it is inconvenient. We must love others in the morning before we've had coffee. We must love others after we've had coffee. It doesn't matter if you've had your coffee or not. You need to love others. Loving God and loving others by default. It is a commitment. It is a commitment. We must buy in all the way. Now let me just... Give a disclaimer in the message this morning before we continue. For sake of, uh, for sake of anonymity and privacy, I'll be careful here, but I have an uncle. I have many uncles, but I have an uncle, and, uh, this is my, one of my mother's brothers. And I do not pretend to know every detail, but what I have been told, and what I, seems very well to be true, is that he loved his first wife sacrificially. Um, He worked hard to provide for her. He took care of her. He was very good to her. But he married a woman that was very selfish. She took his love 
and she rarely ever gave it back. After more than a dozen years of marriage, she came home one day to find that she had abandoned him, had abandoned the marriage, and left for another man. My uncle was very committed to his wife and committed to his marriage, even though he was in a very selfish marriage. But even through all that, he still ended up divorced. Now, uh, if you're here this morning and you have broken relationships in your rearview mirror, that cannot or maybe even should not be salvaged. I am not here this morning to preach a sermon intended to guilt trip you. That is not the purpose of the message this morning. You say, Pastor, I do have relationships in my life that are broken and shattered and uh, seemingly can't be salvaged or should not be salvaged. What should I do? Well, you should instead focus on the relationships that God has put in front of you. You should focus on the relationships uh, that you do have. And you should first focus on loving God with all your heart. And loving others around you. Now there are others of you in here. There are strained relationships or broken relationships with people that God very much does want you to salvage. And he does not want you to give up on those relationships. And you say, Pastor, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm seemingly it's going nowhere. I'm here today to tell you love is committed. You must Consume yourself with doing what's right and not consume yourself with what they're doing. You love the way God's called you to love and then you leave the rest up to the Lord. Let's take a look at four thoughts this morning as we continue our series, The Properties of God's Love or The Characteristics of God's Love. Today we're going to look at this property, love is committed. Notice Point number one of the message today, godly love is vital, and notice, a healthy heart. Godly love is vital, a healthy heart. Without God's love present in our hearts and being poured out on others, our relationships will be quite shallow at best and will be shattered at worst. Without God's love in our hearts being given to others, our relationships will be shallow at best and shattered at worst. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, we're, again, we're going to look at the book uh, uh, broadly this morning. We're going to look at it from chapter 1 through chapter 6. At some point in the sermon, we'll be in all six chapters. And we're going to see here that God has called us to have a relational love that is committed, that is a godly love. Godly love is vital. It is vital. Notice letter A, committed to love my Savior. Committed to love my Savior. I told you a few minutes ago that the book of Ephesians opens with God's love. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 4. It says there, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How is it that we walk holy? Is it through some uh, uh, self-disciplined or some self-help book or uh, uh, even some Christian author uh, that gave us some kind of idea that we found? And now we get to be better than everyone else. No, 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 no. We walk uh, holy. We walk blameless as we learn to walk in God's love. We must commit to love our Savior. Turn to chapter 3 and look at verse number 17. It says there that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in what? 
in love. You're rooted and grounded in love. It is at the, it is below the surface. It, it dictates your relationships below the surface. Rooted and grounded in love. Look at verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. You know, when you look at a tree above the ground, you see a tree, and whether it's big or little, what you don't see is the root system below the ground. You know what a, a good root system does? It sprawls out. It goes deep. And you look at someone who is, uh, seems to have a supernatural ability at loving God and loving others, and what you find is that below the surface, their heart is filled with love that is wider than you could imagine and deeper than you could imagine and runs longer than you could imagine. Look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Can I ask you a question this morning, Christian? How much do you love your Savior? How much do you love the Christ who gave himself on Calvary on your behalf? How much do you love Jesus that not only was willing to save your soul, but willing to sanctify you in service and give you a life uh, uh, that is filled with blessings beyond count? Oh, we focus on the negative of life. We focus on the struggles of life. We focus on the pain in our body, but we fail to focus on the blessings that God pours down on us day after day after day. And if we'll take a moment and we'll focus on his goodness to us, what we'll find is a heart that's full and overflowing with love for our Savior. He begins the book talking about loving God. He talks about it in the middle of the book. Turn to the last verse in the book, Ephesians chapter 6 in verse number 24. Again, this church, the church of Ephesus, struggled with loving God, struggled with a commitment to love. Look at verse 24. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He finishes the book by telling them, don't forget to love your Savior. We must be committed to loving Jesus. It ought to be easy to love Jesus, shouldn't it? Boy, we look at what he did for us and what he does for us, and we shouldn't just shrug our shoulders and go, okay, yeah, there's the... The preacher's talking about the love of God again. No, 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 no. Um, I'm not a crier as a man. I, I don't know that my children have seen me cry more than a couple of times. But when I stop and think about what Jesus did for me, I, I get pretty moist in the eye pretty quick. How that he allowed himself to be brutalized for me. How that he told God, he said... Not my will. I want to walk away. I don't want the sin of the world on me. Not my will, but thine be done. Wow. There is no question about God's level of commitment in loving me and loving you. Some of you this week, you had a really bad week. You struggle with sin. You got carnal. You yelled at your spouse. You lost it with your kids. You were late to work. You got into it with your boss. Your car broke down. Your washing machine broke. Oh, I don't know what happened. You were less than Christian. Up here, please pay attention. You were less than Christian. Can I tell you this, something? God does not love you based on your behavior. He loves you based on his own behavior. 
He's committed to love you. Are you committed to love him? Let her be noticed, committed to love the saints. Hey, godly love is vital not only in loving our Savior, but in loving each other. Can I tell you, sometimes uh, us, us people, we are hard to love. Some of you in here, you're hard to love. Sometimes I am hard to love. I, I, uh, I, I'm not always the easiest person to love. There are times when my wife looks at me and says, I only love him because I have to. There's a quote that goes this way. Well, I'll say that for the next, next sub-point here. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Committed to love the saints. It's a commitment we make. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints. Love unto all the saints. We're commanded to love the saints. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, Paul just finishes laying out the spiritual gifts and the different roles that are found within a church body. Look at verse 16. For from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, I love the last part of this verse. How does a church body grow? How is it increased? It's increased when that church body works together within a spirit of love. A spirit of love. Boy, I have been a part of churches. I have uh, uh, visited churches, been members of churches where there was just infighting everywhere. There were cliques and there was this person be mean to that person and this person talk about about that person and this person berating that person and this person fighting with that person. Listen, I've seen assistant pastors or heard of assistant pastors getting into fights. I've seen deacons throw down in the parking lot. I've seen all kinds of things. And can I tell you that when that spirit is in your church, there is no commitment to loving the saints. And that church is going to go downhill real quick. Nobody from the outside wants to come into a church where we're fighting with each other. And I know I say this often, but it just needs to be repeated over and over again. I am not your enemy and you are not my enemy. The enemy is Satan and we must stand shoulder to shoulder, be committed to love each other through our offenses and fight against the devil. Committed to love the saints. Boy, a church that has as many moving parts as White Oak Baptist Church, movement brings friction and friction oftentimes brings frustration. Do you know what makes it go? I must choose to love you, and you must choose to love me, and we all must choose to love each other. It's a commitment that we make. Let her see notice, committed to love my spouse. Now, this one won't apply to everyone here this morning. Not everyone's married. I won't dwell here long. But turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're covering it because the book of Ephesians covers it, and we want to do justice to uh, the material we're covering. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look down at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Look down at verse 33. And here we see a mutual love and respect. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And wives, God gives you the harder duty. Look at the rest of the verse. And the wife see that she reverence, revere, respect 
her husband. Uh, it's hard to respect someone you don't love. And so we can find here in this passage a definitely a command, a direct command for husbands to love their wives and an implied command that wives are to love their husbands. Uh, here's the quote I was going to give a few minutes ago. I'll give it here. Do you know what a perfect marriage is? A perfect, perfect marriage is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Two imperfect people that are broken, two imperfect people that are flawed, two imperfect people that offend, two imperfect people that create issues, and both of them, please hear me, both of them are committed not to give up on each other. An imperfect marriage, a perfect marriage is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. I will not quit. I will not quit. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this quote down. It's a three-word quote. And uh, I think that some of you really need to leave, leave here and practice it. Here it is. Humility saves relationships. Humility saves relationships. Committed. A vital love. Godly's, a godly love is a vital love. Look at point number two. Notice, godless love is vile. Godless love is vile. We looked at godly love is vital. Godless love is vile. And notice, a hurting heart. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, if we really wanted, if we had all the time in the world, we could be in Ephesians 4 as well and look at the stealing and the corrupt communication and the lying and the anger and the wrath and the bitterness and, and all of the hurt that brings. But look at Ephesians 5 and look at verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Notice this is prefaced and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. By the way, verse 2 is talking about a charitable love. It's walking in God's love and giving it to others. Look at verse 3. The first word there is but. This offers a contrast. So we can walk in love or we can walk in lust. Look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Look at verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. You know what jesting is? That's telling jokes. This is filthy joke telling. Look here, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now, point number two, uh, what I'm going to try to do here in this point is help you understand that it's hard to love others because we live in a godless world that gives a vile version of love. And that vile version of love, it hurts. It hurts. Some of you this morning are sitting here and you're damaged. Let me back up. All of us here this morning in some way are damaged. All of us. Letter A, notice our own sin. Our own sin. Have you ever said or done something that really hurt someone else? Oh, I have. After the action, you wish somehow you could climb into a time machine and go back and relive the situation. Where the words are coming out of your mouth and you just want to reach out and put them back in. 
Sometimes your actions don't hurt others as much as they hurt you. The truth is this morning, if I were to go and stand in front of a mirror and look myself in the eye, I would be looking at Richard's worst enemy. Most of my inability to love others Christ's way is my own fault. My own sin has so damaged me that where I struggle, the struggle isn't from others, it's from me. Now, you may be different than me. I guess everyone's different, and that, that ratio would be different. The proportion would be different. But I can say this, in my life, my inability to love others comes down to my own selfish heart. It sure is hard to prefer others when our hearts are damaged with our own selfishness. Here's where I think most folks are. Are you listening? Most folks have put themselves first for so long, they don't know how to put God first. Most folks have put themselves first for so long, they don't know how to prefer others. They're damaged. We're damaged. Let her be notice others' sin. Others sin. As a pastor, God has called me to love people. And I love loving people. Part of my duties as a pastor is to have hurting people sit in my office and share their brokenness. I no longer, after I've been doing it this long, I no longer... I'm amazed at anything I hear. You could sit in my office and you could tell me the story of what happened to you, and I've probably heard something similar to it. We live in a world filled with abuse. Physical abuse. Emotional abuse. Spiritual abuse. And sadly, sexual abuse. We live in a world where people are hurting. Here's what happens. Other people hurt us. And then we cycle through and we turn around and we hurt others. Someone once appropriately said, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people Hurt people. Leave that up there for me for a few minutes. Someone said if you rescue a dog, they'll be loyal to you for life. You rescue a human, not so much. Not so much. You reach down in the mud and you try to help a hurting person out of the mud. Oftentimes, they pick up a mud ball and hit you right in the eye. Does that mean we should stop helping people out of the mud? No, it does not. I've heard people say, well, I would love others with a Christ-like selfless love, but I don't want to be a doormat. Christian, I'm sorry to say this, but Christ was a doormat for you. That's how you got saved. We've been called to, on some level, be doormats. 
Christ has called us to turn the other cheek. Why would someone hit you if you've done nothing wrong? Can I tell you oftentimes why? Because they're hurting. And you're the easiest target. What do you do when someone has hurt you? You must turn to the Lord and let His love be the healing balm in your life. You must learn to stop the generational cycle of getting hurt and then hurting. Getting hurt and then hurting. Put that next quote up there for me, please. Don't let sin against you produce sin in you. Don't let sin against you produce sin in you. I promise you this. You are going at some point in your life to face abuse. Some of you have faced it a whole lot harder than others. But all of us at some point in our life is going to have someone who's deeply going to take advantage of you and step on you and hurt you. And when that happens, you must determine that you will not let sin against you produce sin in you. As I sat down to put this message together this week, I was torn about where to, where to begin, what passage of Scripture to begin in. I landed in Ephesians, and, and I'm glad I did, but I almost went to the book of Genesis to the story of Joseph. Now, to those of you that are reading your Bible through in a year, some of you just got through reading the story of Joseph, and you know that Joseph was greatly sinned against, wasn't he? His brothers uh, stripped him of his robe and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery and assumed that he was going to die a pauper and a slave. And you know what he did? He did not let the sin of his brothers against him produce sin in him. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 39 and you read the first few verses, what you'll find is that the Lord went with and was with Joseph. And everything Joseph did, the Lord prospered. Why? Not because Joseph was just pre-selected by the Lord. But because Joseph said, though man may slay me, yet will I serve him. I will stand up, God, and I will love you. And I will love others that you put in my path. And their love may be vile. Their lust may be vile. And that godless love is hurting me because they're being selfish. But I will not choose to let sin against me produce sin in me. Number three, notice, God, uh, godly love is vulnerable. And notice a humble heart. Godly love is vulnerable. You know, I, I know a lot of pastors who are in their 40s and 50s. I grew up with my pastors generally being in their 40s and 50s. And I'm going to tell you what I have seen out of a lot of pastors and pastors' wives. They've tried to help hurting people. And hurting people have hurt them. And then... They put up a wall and stop helping people. They refuse to remain vulnerable. Vulnerable. They refuse because they're tired of getting hurt. Now, I'm not standing up here this morning and asking, trying to throw some sort of pity party. But can I say this? If you know a pastor, whether that's me or Pastor Morales or some pastor out of here, you pray that God keeps their heart tender toward helping people. They're in the trenches doing the work of the Lord, loving a hurting world. And they get hurt sometimes. And sometimes even your pastor is sick. Sometimes your associate pastor is spiritually sick. And we need you to take us to the throne like you need us to take your name to the throne. And we must pray for each other. 
a humble heart. A humble heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Boy, Paul had to remind the church of Ephesus to love others with a humble heart. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. With all lowliness. That's that humility, that vulnerability and meekness. With long-suffering, forbearing, putting up with one another in love. Turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse number 4. I love this passage. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us. Look at the vulnerability of God's love in this passage. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That at the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of the grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created anew in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in him. You know, God looked down at humanity, and you read verses 1 through 3, you see it's laid out there, the despair and brokenness and the hurting, uh, 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 the, the hurt of mankind. God reached down into the miry pit. He picked us up. He brought us up. And you say, well, did we hurt the Lord? Yes, Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins, and he was willing to humble himself and become obedient unto the death of the cross. Why? Why? Why did he do that? So that we could be made anew in him. You know what love needs to be? It needs to be humble. It needs to be vulnerable. Let me finish the sermon with one more point here. God's love, godly love is victorious. It's victorious. Notice here a happy heart. Here's what we do. We love people, but we put an expectation with our love. I will love you, but I expect my action to alter your behavior. And then when our love does not alter the behavior, then we quit loving. We say, I will only love you if you behave the way that I expect you to love. Now, again, I'm speaking in generic terms. I'm not giving uh, any uh, specific counsel here. I'm speaking in, in generic terms. Uh, if you are married, listen, you, you have to, you, you have, to uh, have a backbone and you have to stand up for what's right, but you need to do it in a loving way. If you have a teenage child or a young child, uh, you need to have a backbone and you need to punish and discipline, but you need to do it in a loving way. But we need all the same to give our love to others, even if they don't respond the way that we want them to. We're called to love. We're not called to get results with our love. We're called to love. We're called to give God's love to others. Here's what I have found. When I have learned to love others the way Christ wants me to love them over a long enough period of time... Boy, we began to see change. We begin to see change. We cannot give up on each other. 
We cannot look at someone's attitude and say, well, if you're going to behave that way, I'm giving up on you. Oh, no, God didn't love me based on my behavior. God loved me because it was his nature to love me. And as God puts his love in our heart and we love others, can I tell you what we'll see? We'll begin to see results. Letter A, notice, its target is peace. Its target is peace. Look at uh, at, uh, chapter 4 and verse number 2. Almost done here. Chapter 4, verse 2. With all lowliness... And meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Let me pause before you read verse 3. You don't need to forbear and be long suffering with someone who responds the way you want them to respond. You know who you need to be long suffering and forbearing toward? Someone who is taking advantage of your love. Look at verse 3. Endeavoring. Here we see the goal. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Its target is peace. Why do we love others? We love others because we want to have peace in our relationships. Letter B, its tone is proper. Its tone is proper. Look at chapter 4 and verse 15. Somebody, this, listen, this is the last point of the sermon. Don't check out. Stay engaged. Somebody this morning needs what I'm about to say. Desperately needs what I'm about to say. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Can you all, if you don't have that marked in your Bible, can you underline that phrase? Speaking the truth in love. May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In verse 16, we read earlier, from which the whole body uh, fitly joined together and compacted by uh, that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase... Of the body, under the edifying of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love. Someone, well, somebody had to say it. Well, it had to be said. Well, I just, I just told it like it was. Really? Listen. God does not expect you to take your spine or your backbone out and get ran over and pushed over. But God does expect you to communicate that which is true in love. Christian, God has called you to not be offensive with your disposition. Your position may offend if you're standing by truth. But your disposition ought to never offend. We're to speak the truth in love. We're to care. Oftentimes in my marriage when I have um, not been nice to my wife... And don't look at me with a pious look, because you've all been there too. (laughs) When I've not been nice to my wife, oftentimes, not every time, oftentimes, I have not needed to go back and apologize over what I said. I've needed to go back and apologize for how I said it. You know why? Because I did not speak the truth in love. I spoke it in pride. You can get a lot further with someone if you will communicate the truth to them and do it in a loving tone. Because people do not care how much you know till they really know how much you care. It's victorious. But we must commit to loving others. I finish with this. Some people are harder to love than others. Is that true? Is that a true statement? 
Anytime I meet a challenge, someone who's challenged to love, I feel this temptation in my heart. You're not really getting the results. Give up on them. How do you handle that temptation? Because we've all faced it, right? How do you you handle that temptation? You know how you handle it? You get on your knees and you remember how many chances that God has given you. He's never, ever, ever ceased in His commitment to love you. Then you get off your knees and you keep loving and you keep loving and you keep loving. And you don't focus on results. You focus on being obedient to the Lord. You keep loving your Savior. You keep loving uh, the saints. You keep loving your spouse. You keep loving your neighbor. You even keep loving your enemies. And then you stand in front of God one day and you say, Lord, I wasn't perfect, but I tried my best to live in your love and make it the default in my heart and my life. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Some of you here this morning have ceased or have not yet experienced the love of Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. He loves you deeply and dearly. He loves you so much that He saw you in your brokenness and He sent Jesus to come down to the earth. God sent Jesus to come down to the earth and Jesus hung on a cross and He died for you. If if you were willing, or rather, if you were worthy of death row, and I put my son on death row so you could walk free, you would have a choice to make, let him die in your place or not. My friend, Jesus has already died in your place. He died there 2,000 years ago. The question is, are you going to accept what he did for you? You must humble your heart. You must look at the cross. You must confess and believe. Believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you've not yet done that today, please don't leave this church building until you have.